really great to be here. I've been really looking forward to being a part of Salt Church. I've been a part from a distance, and it's really great to have a chance to be here up close. And you know you're really, so I'm just going to toot my own horn for a minute, uh, you know you're really serious about the Great Commission in the local church when you're willing to come from Tallahassee to Gainesville uh, to <laughs> preach uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, but I'm going to be in 1 John chapter 2 this morning. Uh, so if you want to flip there or scroll there or whatever it might be. But before we jump in, uh, Paul wanted me to share a little about, bit about what's going on in Tallahassee. He said we started a church 14 years ago with about 20 people in my parents' living room. And since then, we've had a Sunday morning service in 17 different locations. I don't recommend that, by the way. Uh, and that's from anywhere you can think of, growth to affordability to getting kicked out. I mean, all the above. We've been everywhere uh, just trying to continue to go forward and being for the gospel and for the city in Tallahassee, for our city, for our campuses, and hopefully to the ends of the earth. And we're thrilled to be friends with this church. Of course, we should be friends with all churches. But there's something different about a like-mindedness uh, that even uh, goes beyond just a simple unity on, in the gospel. Like, unity in the gospel should be enough for all of our churches, and it is. But there's something different about churches that go, wow, we think alike, we approach church alike, we think about campus and the city alike. And for the first time I went out to Iowa, which is where Paul and, and his family and others that moved from Iowa came here from there to plant this church, uh, the president of the North American Mission Board, which is part of our network of churches that we work with, the North American Mission Board, in planting churches, he called me. And he said, Dean, you've got to go to Iowa. And I was like, why? He said, he said, I just want you to go see this church in Ames, Iowa, by Iowa State University. And I said, Kevin, look, I love Field of Dreams. I really do. Like, like a gr great movie. Like, I, I just don't, I, I don't, I only have time to do so much stuff like anybody does. And Iowa for a couple days is just not on my, I got kids. I just, not on my radar right now. If I'm going to take time away from home to go to Iowa, he goes, I'll pay your way and I'll put you up and I'm going to come out there too. And I was like, okay, let's go to Iowa. So we went to Iowa and I show up at this church called Cornerstone. And they've been around for 30-something years, Paul, something like that. And I pull up, and I, and I walk in, and on Thursday evening, they were having a, their salt company gathering. And I walk in, and I see college students everywhere in a college town, Iowa State, Florida State, you know, Ames and Tallahassee are obviously different, but like still the kind of your, your little brother school in, bo in both cities, Tallahassee and Iowa, and, I, and uh, Ames, Iowa. And I just froze, and I went, oh, my word. Like, this is a grown-up version of us. They talk like us. They think like us, they look like us, they value what we value. I was like, how do we be a part of this in any way? Like, can we just be friends? <laughs> like, how can we be a part of this anyway? And he said, that's why I wanted you to come out here. It was kind of like, a, I told you so, buddy. And it was just so inspiring to say, okay, we're not crazy. And the things that we're thinking about and that we believe is worth our lives. This great commission, reaching students, reaching communities with the good news of Jesus Christ, more than just church on Sunday, more than just Bible studies so we can get a little more information and get a little more intelligent about the scriptures, more than us having our own personal experience, more than even us having great friendship and great fellowship. But there's a great commission that's worth our lives. And sadly, too many Christians are not thinking that way. So for us to see churches like this develop and start, it's like, wow, we're not crazy. This is happening everywhere by God's grace. It needs to happen in more places. Uh, so I'm just really grateful to be here and be a part of it. I've, uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 18 years. And uh, we have uh, three kids, which so are ages from 14 to 6 years old. And it's also great for me to have two of our elders and two of my good friends, uh, Lance and Steve, here. They brought me the trip. They wanted to see it and want to be a part of what's happening here uh, because they've been following from a distance, and it's cool to get a chance to see it up close. Uh, so, Paul, thanks again for having me in. It's, uh, we're excited what's happening in Gainesville. Like, we're pumped about it. Our church knows about what's happening here and is fired up about it. And to get to see it in person, I'm like, wow, the Lord is working. Like, he, he, is not, he, he moved people here for a reason. He brought people to this place for a reason. He opened up the relationship with the church right in the, across the courtyard for a reason. But, like, here we are, and it's really incredible. 
to, to get a chance to see and be a part of it. First John chapter 2. And what's happening here is really helping us. It's, it's one of those kind of texts where the visual and the illustration is the text. Like a lot of times in Bible study, to help you understand a text, it takes a, maybe, you know, Jesus told a lot of stories, right? It, it, can, it, it was helpful to have a story or a kind of a visual or a prop or like something to help us get it. But there's often times where the text actually is the illustration. The text actually on its own helps us to see and understand. So what 1 John chapter 2 is going to deal with actually is idolatry. Now when I first hear idolatry or idol worship or idols, my first instinct is to believe that I'm a little too sophisticated for that. So you think of idols, like what comes to mind probably? Maybe some kind of ancient statues, maybe some old temples like pagan temples, Maybe you think of people, you know, in very like a non-educated society that are kind of lined up around some kind of statue, you know, way back in ancient times, and they're bowing down. That's kind of what, you, what I think of at first when I think of idols. It's physical. It's for people that aren't educated. It's, it's very lack sophistication. Like, we've evolved way beyond those kind of things. And the reality is, in that context, it's pretty much true. Like, you're not going to see anybody in the West very often build this big, huge statue for themselves and worship around it. It's not a very common thing. So it's easy to hear idols and go, okay, that was a, that, we, maybe we can hear some Old Testament stories, and yeah, that's helpful about some history, but, but we don't really do that anymore. Like, idols aren't really an issue for us. We're just people who mess up sometimes, you know, just kind of broken people, and, you know, we make mistakes, and, and, and you know, just that, that's the kind of stuff we do. We're not people that would actually have some kind of ceremony and put some kind of gold statue up and run around it in circles and do some kind of chants and then bow down and worship it. I mean, I got into the University of Florida. You know, we don't do those kind of things. But 1 John shows us that our idolatry isn't much different. He calls it by a different name. So what was in the Old Testament? Don't build an idol for yourselves. Don't have any images, God would say. Don't have anything in place of me. And why would God say that? Because God will not share his glory with anyone else. Like he is a holy God. And a holy God cannot share worship with anything or anyone else. Like he deserves and demands all of our worship. And that idol worship is really an indicator to us of our need for God's grace and forgiveness. Because we violate that all the time, worshiping other things instead of God. But God, thankfully, in his grace, does not punish us as our idol-worshiping sins deserve. But Jesus stood in our place, who never sinned, who never had an idolatry problem, and took on a death that we deserved by shedding his blood to reconcile us to God in our broken relationship with him based on our idolatry. So in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, there's a different understanding of what it looks like for centuries later, a little more sophisticated version of, of idolatry that John refers to as love of the world. What was statues at one time can be called love of the world today. And he says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now why would he say that? Because God will not allow us to have competing loves. If anyone loves the world, he said here's the result. The love of the Father is not in him. Because if anyone loves the world, what's really happening, as he's saying, is, is we're not understanding who God is. 
We're not understanding who God is, that he's worthy of our worship. Maybe we see God as a grandfather figure, or a big guy upstairs, or a divine Santa Claus, or a life coach, or a motivational figure, or someone kind of to turn to when it gets really, really bad, like a distant force in the universe, maybe a genie, kind of all the ways people view a generic, vague, just kind of theistic thing. But if we know this personal God who has spoken to us, who has told us who he is, what he expects of his people, and we still love the world, and the love of the world is in us, he's saying the only conclusion can be that the love of God is not in you either because you have competing loves. And then he gets specific. And this is where the text actually becomes the visual illustration. It says for everything in the world, now he makes the case for it, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions. He goes, it's not from the Father. Now, these things aren't from God. He goes, but it's from the world. And then he shows his love and care for us, John does. For he says, and the world with its lust is passing away. Like it's temporary. That God loves us too much to let us settle for lesser gods that are here today and gone tomorrow. He goes, but the one who does the will of, of God What's the will of God? To be a worshiper of God. He says that person, guess what, remains forever. It's a worship of all eternity. So saying, am I going to worship what's temporary, that's going to pass away? It's a warning passage. I think it's an act of love, him calling us to this. Or is it going to be one, a love that lasts forever? Don't love the world. That's modern day, keep yourself from idols. Don't love the world or the things of the world. That's modern day. Don't worship anything else in place of me. But it gets specific. Back in verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, that these are the way that this idol worship kind of manifests itself. This is the way this type of thing plays out in front of us. Like it's not a golden calf from the book of Exodus that's happening right here. Uh, it's, it's not the idols that are constructed in Numbers and Deuteronomy and in Joshua and in Judges and, and on and on and on. It's not the pagan temples we even see in the book of Acts that are taking place. It's not what's happening in 1 Corinthians, more temples and idolatry in terms of that type of a setting and a place. Instead, he says it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. What do those mean? What's the illustration there? What's that? That's the visual he gives us of what love of the world, modern-day New Testament idolatry looks like. And he says, the lust of the flesh. What, what, is that, what does that mean? Lust of the flesh is, I want to feel that. Lust of the flesh, I want to feel that. Well, I want to feel what? I want to feel secure. I want to feel wanted. I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel like I matter. I want to feel like people notice me. I want to feel pretty. I want to feel attractive. I, I want to feel like you see me younger than I really am. I want to feel different than how this person is viewed. And what happens is in our love for the world and in this, in this desire for, for the lust of the flesh, this, I want to feel that. Guess what happens? We become people who trade the worship of God for the worship of created things. 
how many of our struggles, of the mistakes we have made, of the times we feel so far from God are a result of the lust of the flesh. I want to feel this. And how can it all be summarized? The lust of the flesh in one easy sentence. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. So whatever it is that's going to make me happy in the moment, I'm going to do those things. And in my pursuit of the world, and in my pursuit of the world, I'm going to get rid of anything that stands in the way of me having momentary, at the drop of a hat, happiness. And here's what's so complicated. You know why God tells us not to love the world or the things in the world besides the worship issue? Because he knows the world is not going to love us back and is going to go like this and clap it up anytime you want to act on the desire to simply make yourself temporarily happy. So what we do is we believe two lies. We go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were first tempted to sin, they believed two lies. They had a relationship with God. They had the whole Garden of Eden. They could thrive and flourish all of God they could ever imagine. And God said, here's one thing I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat fruit from that tree. So they believed two lies. And Jensen, who from City Church and was sent here, heard this every single Sunday for her entire college life in Tallahassee. These two lies. That there's more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him. And I have to go around God for all the things I'm looking for in life. Happiness, purpose, fulfillment, joy, meaning, significance, rather than actually write to God. And it's all done in the name of do whatever makes you happy. I am old and have a bad back from football, and I go to a chiropractor once a week. It's kind of shameful once a week, man. Okay, so, uh, but I love my chiropractor, and I probably could go five days a week if they, if they would let me. Uh, but there's a sign you walk out the door, and it just says, do more of what makes you happy. And I call it the Instagramification of the faith. The Instagramification of the faith, where that is the ultimate value today. You just do what makes you happy. And if that means you got to get out of that marriage, or that means you got to find new friends, that means you have to find a new city, that means you have to find a new job, a new church, you do you. You just do whatever it is that makes you happy. That's the value of the world. And when we love the world and the things of this world, we're going to be sucked in by that mindset. And believe that i got to go around God for looking for that. Maybe even I need to do things that compromise the scriptures. Because there's more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him. Why? Because I want to be happy right now, in this moment. And the world's just going like this. And you hear these things, you don't even know what they mean. Like, you do you. It's like, I don't even know what that means. But yeah, like, 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 like that type of thing. And they become the values of this world. And what is it? It's idolatry. It's statue worship. It just comes in the form of the lust of the flesh. I want to feel that. Next one is the lust of the eyes. I want to have that. I don't just want to feel that. I want to have that. That relationship. That many followers. That much comfort. That much ease. That little responsibility. I want to have those things. 
So God, no, I don't have those things in you. Like I might believe that in a Sunday school Bible study answer, but, but I don't really have that in you, the things that I really want to have. So I got to go find that somewhere else. I want to have that. I, when you're a pastor, you just naturally do uh, some basic level counseling. I don't mean like the professional stuff that really requires an actual like therapist and you know those kind of things that I value very much. I mean just kind of like entry level, um, more just kind of one on one. It's almost like mentoring than it is counseling, but that kind of idea. Uh, so I'm not a professional counselor, so I, I refer people quickly when they're beyond like kind of my I guess you could say pay grade. Uh, but in basic conversations and mentoring, I do a ton of that, and a lot of it's usually marriage related. And my wife and I had this thing where I'll tell her, uh-oh, this person's on watch. And this person's on watch means look at their Instagram account and look what's going on. Look what's happening. I know it probably sounds and feels a little judgmental, and I'll acknowledge it is. And so, okay, so there's that. Uh, but so we'll be watching someone's Instagram account. Not even watch, just scrolling like anybody does. or going through their stories. And you'll usually see, I'm not trying to pick on ladies here, because there can be guys too, but 87.76 times percent it's a woman. And all of a sudden, every picture is like selfie at the gym. It is some like meaningless inspirational quote about like slaying the day and you're enough and motivational Monday and you got it girl and all, all this kind of stuff. You have what it takes. Don't settle. You know, all those kind of stuff. Life was meant to be ordinary. Like all these kind of things. And they'll put a little bit of faith in it, too, like God wants you to be happy, like that, that kind of stuff, so it sounds a little bit better. And then I'll notice that a lot of the pictures, are always, they're always out at night. Not that it's wrong to go out at night. I enjoy going out at night, but husband's never in the pictures. Always out with their girlfriends. It's like girls' night and girls' beach weekend. Like, you know, more often there is a bachelorette party in Nashville. It's like, how many of these can there be? You know, it's like, they're just all the time. And, and it's all the time. And... And I'm like, oh, wait, look at the picture. I'm like, she's divorced, she's divorced, she's getting divorced, she's sleeping with that guy, she's, you know, like, it's a small town, it's like, oh, uh, 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 it's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. She's not doing anything wrong. She's posting pictures, going out with friends, doing things that regular folks do, but I go, watch out. So one time I had a guy who I barely know. I know his wife, but I barely, I barely know him. I knew his wife was from growing up in Tallahassee. He reached out to me, and he's kind of, four times a year church guy, you know, sort of thing. It's like Easter, Christmas, and something bad happens, and then one other day, you know, kind of thing. And remember September 11th, when everyone was a Christian for like a week, remember that? Yeah, that, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so he reached out to me and says, I really would like to come talk to you. He sends me an Instagram message, actually. Can I, can I come meet with you? I'm like, man, of course, definitely can. And so we make an appointment, make, set up a time where it's free, he's free, I'm free, he comes over to the church to meet with me in my office. And he sits down, and he's, you can tell he's a little already a little nervous, and I look like he'd been crying a little bit. He just kind of, just kind of t- you could tell. And I just looked at him, and I said, is this about your marriage? And he goes, how did you know? Kind of creeped him out. And I was like, Instagram. And he goes, what do you mean? And I told him what I just told you. You just see it coming. You just see it coming. I want to have that. And what did she want to have? She wanted to have freedom. She wanted to have momentary happiness. And she started listening to the noise. And what are the values of the world today? Things you don't find in the Bible. That they're things like never settle. But what does that mean? Like we're not talking about like fourth down in a football game where you need to we need to make sure that you're tough and that you like we like like our practice and our conditioning like gets us to this moment. We're not talking, we're talking about regular life here. 
God doesn't want you to live an ordinary life. Like, where do you find that in the Bible? Well, what are we talking about? What would you tell a Christian living in North Korea right now? That God doesn't want you, God wants you to live an extraordinary life. But how would that translate to our brothers and sisters that are in jail right now for their faith? I guess that's extraordinary. I mean, I'm serious, I don't have a category for that, but like, how would that translate to them? It's just kind of Western, affluent Instagramification of Christianity that makes us think the worst things in the world are settling and mundane and ordinary. When you see in the scriptures, that's how faithful life actually happens, is through mundane and settling and ordinary. So what happens? I'm not picking on this lady. I'm just telling you a story. Like, like what happens here? She, so all of a sudden, she believes that her life is boring. She got married really young. It's the same routine every day. She has multiple kids now, and it's the same routine every day. It's get them up for school, get everybody out the door, you know, drop them off, go home, work, you know, put on your yoga pants, go, go do that. It's all, all these same things like every day. And then husband comes home or she comes home. It's like dinner, baths, read books, homework, get everybody to bed, start over tomorrow. And all of a sudden, her friends, they're having a good old time. And even though her husband's not a bad guy, and I actually met with her and she would tell me he's a great guy, a great dad. What is the symbol in her life of mundane and ordinary and settling? Her husband. So in her mind, the solution is, he's a great guy, but he's got to go. There's somebody else out there better for me. And then she uses God's language, and she said to me, don't you think that God wants us to be happy? I want to have that. And this is not an isolated incident. This is par for the course in Christianity pop and Christianity light in 2021. And why I bring this up is, thank God we have so many students here. And I want to just warn you and plead to you, don't buy into the hype of the love of the world. And I love being at churches where I have a lot of college students and I have a lot of what we call community people, non-students who go, we want to be a part of a church that wants to reach college students. But that really matters. Like We want to be a part of a church that cares about the next generation. Like that's worth our time, worth our resources, worth our prayers, worth our involvement. But I want to plead to y'all not to buy into the hype, because here's reality. I, I spoke at a high school graduation last week, uh, a baccalaureate for, a Christian, for uh, a Christian baccalaureate, and I said, here's the deal, I hate to break it to you guys, Jeremiah 29, 11, about God having plans for you is not about high school graduation. Uh, it's, it's about how to handle exile in Babylon. And, and, I, and, I, and I said, and I said Here, here's the real deal. I said, here's the real deal. I said, most of y'all are not going to land an internship in New York City. Most of y'all are not going to get paid to do your hobby. You're not really a photographer. You have a phone. You know, it's like, just like, okay. I mean, it's just kind of like, just chill a little. Chill a little, okay? Like, but you know, like, I mean, like, you're not really an influencer. Like, okay, like, you're not, okay? Like, thanks for sharing that, like, baby formula with me. Like, you're not, like, I, like thank you, all right? And it's like, in the, and statistically, most people in the world are going to live the rest of their lives about 10 miles from their parents' home, where they grew up. Most people. So it's like 80% or something like that, 78% I said the other day, live about 10 miles from where they grew up in, in their hometown. And they work a normal job, and have a normal family, and they retire. And here's what I'm going to tell you about that. As long as you're on mission with God during all that, all those things are glorious and wonderful. Wonderful. And God wants to use whatever it is in your life. You can be a nurse anywhere in the country. You can be a teacher anywhere in the country. 
it might not be a flashy place where you end up. It might not be the best Instagram background in the world. You might not have friends who are dying to come see you because of where you live. But if you're on mission with God, there's no such thing as mundane. Every single thing matters. <coughs> Excuse me. Been vaccinated. We're fine. <laughs> I want to have that. It used to be called statue worship. Today it's called love of the world. The third one, pride in one's possessions. I want to show that. I want to show that I've made it. I want to show I have it together. I want to show our family is whatever you're filling the blank. I want, to, I want to show that we have, you know, it's like people's Christmas pictures nowadays. It's like, good mercy, since when did y'all try to become models? It's like, ease up, right? There's just such a desire in us to, to feel, have, show, show, show. But you know how long some people take just to post a picture on an Instagram story that's here for 24 hours? I mean, they'll sit there and like filter and crop and change and like it disappears in 24 hours. But isn't that kind of the point? Where he says this world with its lust is passing away. The things that I personally put my energy in towards that really are a result of idol worship, me wanting to feel that, have that, but I think the biggest one that gets, uh, that really gets a slide sometimes, gets a, maybe a, a little excuse sometimes somehow is I want to show that pride in one's possessions. I got to accumulate things. I got to have this. If it's new, it must be mine, because what's the, what's the risk of some kind of ostracization if everybody else has it and I don't? I'm dealing with that with my, my high school student right now. Remember, he came from middle school, and he was like, I'm the only kid in the school who doesn't have an iPhone. I'm like, the only? Like, the only person, number one. Yes. Found out it was true, actually. But okay, so, but <laughs> still, but still, so, so we got, so we, we got to have some conversations about, but, but in his mind, again, there's nothing wrong with wanting an iPhone. I have an iPhone. There's nothing wrong with wanting an iPhone. But it, was, it wasn't, hey, I want an iPhone for these reasons, so I can, you know, use it for this, this, and that. It was, everybody else has an iPhone, and I don't have an iPhone. Again, I get what it's like to be a teenager. Adults feel the same thing. But isn't that interesting? That it just, it, it never, we never really grow, we, we're never too young for it, and we never grow out of it. Showing that I want to do this. A lot of it is in pride of one's possessions. It's our own righteousness. We want to show. I'm on the right side of this. I want to show that to you. Like, I, I have it right politically. I'm right on this issue. We'll get really performative. Like I, I'm saying the right things. I'm outraged about the right things. Like nothing says outrage than like tweeting about a cause like from your like gajillion dollar laptop sitting at a fair trade coffee shop. It's like, oh my gosh, you're so active. Right? It's just like it's just like the things that we do. I wanna show that, that I'm right, that I'm on the right side, that I'm not one of those people. They can even call us to jump on board with issues that we don't know anything about, that aren't with the, that aren't in line with the scriptures. Because I want to show that. Because it all goes again back to whatever makes you happy. Now, do I believe that God wants us to be miserable? No. I believe that God wants us to have, Jesus wants us to have life and have it more abundantly, John chapter 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy that idea. One of the ways he does it is he wants us to find abundant life in other things that aren't the, of the Lord. So is it okay to find abundant life in your family? Of course it is. That's of the Lord. God gave us our families. Like he wants us to thrive there. But if our families become 
a God thing, then it becomes a problem. Is it okay to find abundant life in your work? Absolutely. God gave us careers and gave us skills and abilities. Like, like find life in those things. But it becomes God thing? Or ever, where it becomes my everything, where it becomes more important to me than anything? That, that's when the problem begins to set in. He's warning us, going, these things are passing away. So what's the solution? Is it knock it off? Is it try harder? And again, that, that does happen. And there is a place for that. Paul says he strives towards this. Right? He's working out his salvation. He's saying he's like a, like a runner. He's running his race. There's effort there. Like, like grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And we're not people who can earn anything. Everything we have is a gift of God. It's grace we've been saved through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. But I think the conclusion of First John, this whole book, so we're in chapter 2, and it just kind of keeps going in terms of just lifting up Jesus and the truth and what that means for us. It talks about prayer, the certainty of being known by God in a relationship with him. And I want to read you the conclusion. I think there he gives us the remedy of how we continue to fight idolatry in our lives. How we basically have a Christ-centered rebuttal against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions. He says this, verse 18 of chapter 5, it's the very, very end. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So we want to know who we belong to and know who the world belongs to. Be conscious, locked in of that reality. There are two competing worlds. Because we, verse 20, I love this, and we know, we know, that's such an important thing for a Christian to be able to say. Yes, we'll have moments of doubt. Yes, we'll have moments of struggle. Those things are not the end of the world. You're not banned from the presence of God because you have doubts that come to your mind from time to time. That's part of being human in a fallen world. We wrestle with things. He says, but we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding so we may know the true one. Who's the true one? It's Jesus Christ who has come for people who want that, want to feel that, have that, and show that. He comes to this earth, first and foremost, to rescue a people to himself, but also to show us that he is all those things. He ultimately is the eternal want and have. And he says, we are in the true one. We're in Christ. It's an important doctrine, our union with Christ. We become one with Christ. That is, in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God. Not these lesser gods are never going to love you back. Not the things of this world that are passing away. He's the true God and eternal life. So what does John do as he wraps up? He doesn't give us his lecture. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't even tell us to get it together, even though he would have every right to do so. There's nothing wrong with that. He says, here's who Jesus is compared to all those other things. And you are in him. And God's greatest blessing is God. The greatest gift Jesus gives us is himself. It's to know us. It's for us to know him. It's really important for Christians to grasp that. That God's greatest blessing he gives his people is himself. Our salvation, our relationship our new identity as sons and daughters of the Lord. A true and perfect father. 
Then he wraps it up, these last, the very last verse of 1 John, an amazing book of the Bible. After all that, he goes, he, I can just almost feel him like kind of writing and going, kind of shrugging and going, well, here's the last thing I've got to say. It's all an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Every word in here God has for him in here. It's like little children, guard yourselves from idols. It's like, wait, that's it? Well, yeah, we just talked about that. It's like, that, that's my charge to you, he's saying. I just told you earlier not to love the world because it's passing away. Here's what it looks like. Here's the visual. That I've got to have that. I've got to feel that. I've got to show that. Instead, realize that there's an enemy in this world that wants to lure you towards all those things. He doesn't want you to have abundant life. He wants you to define the good stuff of life by this world's things, not God's things. And he goes, so just remember that you're in Christ. He's the true one. He is eternal life. All the things that you're longing for actually are found in a relationship with him. So as a result of that, he's like, hey, let's respond to that by not having a shame party or thinking God like, doesn't want us in his presence or because of our failures. or like, Jesus already secured all that for us. He's our intercessor. Like, like he, he's with us. He's our mediator. He says, guard yourselves from idols. Then he closes the letter his phone back in his pocket and stops typing. Because that's it. So could it be that much of the Christian, I don't mean in a paranoid kind of way, but just in an alertness type of way, that much of the Christian life is guarding ourselves from idols. And the way he calls us to do that is by filling our minds and hearts more and our souls more with the love of God. Knowing it, understanding it, believing it, camping out in it as I read my Bible, as I pray, if I have other Christians, church on Sunday morning, to where I really can get to the place where I actually can truly claim Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And I don't mean things, I don't mean Jesus giving us stuff. Jesus himself. Not I, but Christ in me. Little children, I love that, that that's affection there. That's not condescending or patronizing. It's affection he's showing. Little children. It's a church I care about. Keep yourselves from idols. They're not the true one. They're not eternal life. Jesus is. Don't buy the hype of anything else. Lesser gods never love you back. Let's pray.